CFL fans, are you ready? Because it's time for the Canadian Football Countdown on Mike FM Winnipeg. Canadian Football Countdown starts now! Hello, hello, and welcome to the Canadian Football Countdown. As always, I'm Ryan Coop alongside Michael Garrell, and we are back for another episode of our off-season outlook series in which we are talking the BC Lions today, who were active earlier today in the trade department, making a trade with the Montreal Alouettes. We'll get into that, along with all the other CFL news. Plenty of talk, plenty to talk about again this week. Uh, so let's get right into it, bring in the other half of this dynamic duo. Michael Garrell, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. You? I'm doing great. It's so weird. I, I hardly see you in person anymore because we do these shows over Skype because of scheduling and stuff like that. So it's a little bit, uh, still a little bit weird for me to be honest with you. Yeah, we don't see each other, but uh, we get the chance to talk football every week. So Yeah, and you know what? It's a highlight of my week. I don't know about you, but definitely. Monday afternoon for me, uh, talking football. Wouldn't have it any other way. Me as well. Great way to put it. Um, lots of exciting stuff going on in football down south. I know you were very excited to tell me about that yesterday, the Minnesota Vikings uh, miracle in Minneapolis. The Minneapolis miracle. My goodness gracious, we won't see a play like that again. That was a wild end to that NFL playoff game between the Vikings (laughs) and the New Orleans Saints, to say the least. Well, it, it certainly sweetened my mood after it was pretty sour after Philadelphia beat Atlanta on Saturday afternoon, so that kind of made up for it. I was scrolling through Twitter after that game, and I, I think my favorite tweet came from Milt Stiegel, who said, this reminds me of a play I was involved in back in 2006. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking, and... Honestly, I, I I can share this now with our with our listeners because I think most of them understand. But I'm a hockey play by play broadcaster, right? And um, we were on the air during the game last night when that uh, Hail Mary came down, and I had the game on my iPad from uh, CTV, and when that Hail Mary went down. There was a stoppage in place, so I was uh, looking over at my color guy. You know, my, my color guy happened to be talking at the time. And I see this Hail Mary go down over, over like, to my left where I have the iPad set up. And I uttered the words, oh, my goodness, <laughs> on live radio as he's talking. Only, and then my color guy said, what, what, what? And then I... Kind of have to fill everybody in on the goal. So that was kind of a very unique experience for me yesterday. That's funny. It's definitely a play that will be remembered for a lifetime. We'll see it on highlight packages, TSN top tens for time to come. And, and you know, it's the reason I bring this up too is that the ending of that game had so many lead changes. It reminded me so much like the Grey Cup. 
Right. And it was just one of those fitting games, you know, where unfortunately there's uh, happiness on one side and heartbreak <laughs> on the other. And David Amimata, former match over Bison, obviously on the, on the heartbreaking end of it. But uh, don't know if you saw Brandon Dilster's tweet after the game. Uh, he was pretty fired up. Oh, absolutely. Zilstra, a couple weeks ago, signing a deal with the Minnesota Vikings. I'm sure he's pumped up to see um, how that all shook down at the end of the day. Let's get into talking about the CFL here, Mike. A lot of news again over the last week. Uh, I was looking yesterday. It looked like it was a bit quieter on the news front. But then, you know, up until this point today, it's 4.30 in the afternoon central time as we're speaking right now. A lot of news has come out so far today. I think it's fitting that we start off with talking about the Montreal Alouettes here. Um, They made a couple moves today, but I kind of want to go back and start off with the one that came earlier this week, Mike. Yep. They have a new quarterback for next year, and it's former NFL first-round pick Josh Freeman who they signed to a two-year deal. What can you tell us about that? Well, I can tell you I was playing Madden 25 today. And Josh Freeman, number one on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers depth chart. That's not an error. Uh, he was a starting quarterback for the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, was recently relegated to backup um, when the Tampa Bay Buccaneers brought in the guy by the name of Jameis Winston, who is still there today. Uh, Freeman was, I believe, with one other team before being released and hasn't seen the NFL since. But this is not one of those situations where the quarterback has been out five or six years. He was only released, I think, a year and a half ago. Yeah, and to be fair, when I saw this news, and I had heard rumors for a while about, you know, Josh Freeman possibly coming to the CFL. And I'll admit, I didn't know very much about the guy. I knew he had some time in the NFL. It didn't end up working out too well for him in the long run there. I, I was a little skeptical, like, okay, is this what the Alouettes are actually going with here? But you seem to like the move from our discussions. You know, you know I, let's be frank, Freeman hasn't been on the Alouettes night list very long. I, I mean, they just added him recently. I remember reading something about that, like, uh, maybe a month ago or so. I could be slightly off on the timing. Uh, but for a deal to come together this quick, I, I like the move. Um, I believe his skill set is suited to the CFL, whether it works out. You know, I, I'm just a little... Do I like the move from Montreal standpoint? I'll say this. What other option did they have based on the way the QB carousel basically kind of came to a stop with Montreal being the only one without a quarterback? I'll, although I had understand that there was some news that just spoke about 10 minutes ago, but all sides about in a minute. Montreal's kind of going on this notion of they're getting this brand new coach in Mike Sherman. Sherman must have some kind of a connection. I'm not exactly sure what it is, whether it's just NFL related or if he was with Freeman earlier. But man, a oh man. New coach goes out and gets his guy, and let's just say unconventionally, Josh Freeman might be coming to Montreal at the number one, 
it's just a very strange circumstance. Yeah, and and you know, in hindsight, I like this move given the options the Alouettes had. Much like when we talked about Mike Sherman being hired as coach by the Alouettes, I liked the move given the options they had. Now, granted, well, I'm sure there's you know other options that went elsewhere in the CFL. We talked a lot about you know different coaching options for the Alouettes. Zach Caleros possibly at QB. Uh, until he ended up going to Saskatchewan. You know, all of these different things that, yeah, these are the guys we'd like to see Montreal bring in. We'll take those guys out of the equation. You know, they're not left with too many options in the actual CS- CFL atmosphere at the time. So they go out, get Mike Sherman, a former NFL coach, Josh Freeman, a former NFL QB, and they're putting this all together. And I'm very interested to see how this is all going to shake out for the Alouettes, given just kind of how they went about, you know, putting these fundamental pieces in place. Now, I don't want to play devil's advocate, but I have to ask the question. How much of this is brand repairs for Montreal? Oh, I think there's a lot of brand that needs to be repaired. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if this will end up being the effective way to go about doing it. Uh, no, but I'm saying, like, if, if you... If you've exhausted all your CFO options and it's clear nobody wanted to come, it's clearly an outside-the-box coaching hire, and it's clearly an outside-the-box option for you supposed today, maybe, as of this very day, starting quarterback. Yeah, and, and, and I'll, go, I'll go and say, you know, props to the Alouettes management coaching staff. Whether or not Josh Freeman works out in the CFL, Props to them for going out and getting a guy and not saying, oh, there's no CFL options available. Okay, let's bring back Durant, let's bring back Willie, and we'll stick with what we had last year and hope it works. Yeah, I mean, they had to do something. I'm just surprised that it came to this, to, to, be, to be very honest with you. And, and let's see what happens. I mean, I have this notion in my head, and I'm sure you do too, about all these recycled NFL players failing, I'm trying to have a very good reason and sound optimistic that Josh Freeman is different than all of these guys that have come up supposedly quarterbacks before him. I think Josh Freeman is different. I just think the odds are against him given the fact of past NFL quarterback to CFL quarterback unable to make the roster, you know what I mean? Yeah, and looking at the other side of the coin, this was the news that just broke out before we started recording here, and it was to be expected. Uh, Quarterback Darian Durant had just released by the Montreal Alouettes. Um, You can count a couple different factors, really, that weighed into this. I mean, frankly, Durant's play out on the field last year was not what the Alouettes were expecting when they got him. Uh, coming into last year, especially at the amount they were paying him. They go out and get this new quarterback in Josh Freeman. And tomorrow, Darian Durant was due a $150,000 bonus, which, I mean, if they were going to cut him, which I think was the plan all along after the season ended, darn good thing they did it now before they had to go and give him his $150,000 bonus tomorrow. Yeah, it just goes to show how volatile the market is in the CFL, right? Yeah, and, and I think the writing was simply on the wall, given those couple factors mentioned. 
Uh, we're led to believe from reports that uh, Durant was trying, or they were trying to restructure a deal, maybe keep Durant as a backup coming into next year or compete. Um, but there didn't seem to be any mutual agreement on the restructure of his contract. So now Darian Durant is a CFL free agent, and I'm interested to see where he's going to land from here because looking at the CFL quarterback landscape right now, I think we're looking at pretty much all of the starting jobs taken up. I don't see a starting job available for Durant in 2018. Now we look to see, okay, where could he fit in as a backup, maybe a 1B quarterback that would be the best fit for him. And I'm thinking the Bombers are looking like the best match. Well, here, here's the thing, and I'll, and I'll leave it at that tonight. I think you kind of, I think you kind of touched on that. Darian Durant anywhere close to him and at MOP season last year, we're not having this conversation. They have no problem showing off the bonus tomorrow. The problem, the path of the matter is he didn't perform, so Montreal didn't think it was worth it to pay him the bonus. Yeah, and, and I don't think Durant's done in the CFL in terms of he no. had a couple bad years. I think he's still a guy who could easily turn it around um, given the opportunity. I don't think he's going to get that starting opportunity, but I'll tell you this. I, you know, at the right price, as long as he's not expecting a lot of money and realizes, you know, he's coming in in a backup role, I have no problem bringing Darian Durant in as a backup quarterback if I'm, say, a team like the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Maybe the BC Lions, depending on Travis Lule's situation. The Toronto Argonauts, if Ricky Ray doesn't come back for another year. Um, maybe Hamilton, depending how the whole Johnny Manziel situation shapes out. So I, I think there are options out there that will see Durant back in 2018, but not in the starting role, I would imagine. Yeah, no, and, and I would agree. And I'd interview Darian, you look at this and you say, you know what, I, I, I swallow my pride. I have my my time in the CFO as a starter, but hey, you know what, I go to a team, I'd say Winnipeg, and i say, you know what, I'm one hit from being the number one guy again. So, you know, maybe being a backup isn't so bad after all. No, it, it certainly isn't. Um, more news coming out of Montreal. Running back Brandon Rettley traded earlier today to the BC Lions for future considerations. Now, this is a trade for both sides that is a little puzzling to me, Mike, because I, I, I don't see the need to get rid of him from the Montreal side, and I don't see the Lions need to add a guy like Brandon Rettley. You floated something to me that's very, very interesting. Perhaps using uh, Rainey as a receiver. Yeah, because if you look at the backfield for the, the BC Lions, you know, I, I'm wondering if the move from the Lions standpoint and uh, will shape into more of uh, the whole Lions outlook on the offseason, because that's who we're talking about today in the second half here. But I would think, you know, what really worked well for the Lions two seasons ago was that dynamic duo they had. Um with Anthony, Anthony, with Anthony Allen. Allen and Jeremiah Johnson, their two running backs, that worked so well for them a couple seasons ago. They didn't have that last year to an extent. They did use Rainey back there, and I thought that was effective at times. Um, so I thought Rainey was clearly, you know, that guy capable of being that, you know, double back together with Jeremiah Johnson. But, you know, maybe they tried to do something like the Bombers did with Timothy Flanders last year, where, yes, he was technically a running back, but the guy lined up more often than not in the slot back position, right? 
Right. Um, when you have a guy with that much speed, and again, this is speculation on my part. This is a theory I have out there. I've seen nothing that goes and suggests this is the case. But why not give that a shot, right? Can you imagine wide receiver Chris Rainey with his explosive speed? Yeah, and then considering with some of those other guys, I mean, he brings some intangibles as a receiver, having played the running back position just from a blocking standpoint. Yeah, for sure. Uh, that did, that did for, cause a lot of problems. As for the Montreal standpoint, um, is there anything you can think of here why, you know, they didn't go and get a current asset back or anything for Rutley either? What? Why does this trade make sense for the outlets? It, it's asset uh, accumulation with the Nightless player and giving the guy an opportunity who they fought. Um, wouldn't fit in the fold in Montreal. Right, yeah, and I have to wonder, you know, they go and sign uh, Terrell Sutton to that new contract. Um, do you think there is any sort of negotiation in there that Sutton says, okay, I want to be the number one guy and I want to get the ball often? Uh, you know what? I I don't think you'd go into that... Um, I don't think you'd want to any kind of negotiation, you know, demanding that kind of stuff. Right. I, I think it's earned by by your play on the field and by your respect amongst your teammates. I think this was just a purely business decision. And it wouldn't surprise me if uh, this trade was necessitated by the running back scene, but... Maybe he exactly didn't have a future with the Montreal Alouettes, so he asked them, you know, politely to be moved. Right. Um, rounding out the Alouettes moves, defensive backs Michael Carter and Chris Aki re-signed to one-year deals. Um, so locking up some key pieces in that defense for the Alouettes, which again has been their strong point over the last couple of years. Moving over to the Edmonton Eskimos here, Mike. He's finally done it. We knew it was going to come at some point. Kevin Glenn has completed his his tour of Canada and has signed a contract with the Edmonton Eskimos, making him the first player in CFL history to be, a, at some point in his career, a member of all nine active teams. Yeah, it's crazy. The full circle, uh, Kevin Glenn tour stop is in uh, Edmonton now. And, and and this was the best outcome out of this. You know, would it be fun to see him as a backup role in Winnipeg again? Sure. Um, but I, I so wanted to see Glenn complete that tour. Uh, and not only, you know, just the fact that, okay, this is the only team he's never been a member of. I think there's a real good fit for him here in Edmonton as well, being that backup. Because, you know, they lost their backup in James Franklin, who was a young up-and-coming guy. Uh, now they bring in Kevin Glenn. It gives them time to maybe groom some of the other younger options they have at quarterback. In the meantime, um, Glenn's, you know, a good, a excellent backup should anything happen to Mike Riley. Um, and the Eskimos are playing to win this year. You know, they're hosting the Grey Cup. They were close to making it last year. Uh, they're hosting the Grey Cup this year, and I think it makes perfect sense to bring a guy like Kevin Glenn in. Yeah, it's, it's a proven option. You know, he's been, it's been said countless times. 
the best insurance policy in the CFL. And, you know, now it just did Mike Riley another set of eyes with the experience to talk football about. You know, they're going to help each other out in the huddle and on the field. And I don't. I know Edmonton's not going to come out and say it, but I sense this gray cup or bust in building in Edmonton, and the pressure is on with the Eskimos hosting the gray cup. Let's not hit ourselves. Well, and I think everyone's buying into the hype of the gray cup in Edmonton because uh, another guy that signed with the Eskimos this week, Darrell Walker, back for another one-year contract. Um, perhaps, you know, there was some more looks in the NFL like he had last year, but Walker said, no, I, I believe what's going on in Edmonton now. Edmonton's hosting the Grey Cup. Uh, how fun would it be to play in a Grey Cup at home? So Darrell Walker back for another year. I think uh, along with also Canadian offensive lineman David Beard signed through 2019. Uh, so I think at members of the Eskimos realize how close they were last year, that they did build something special. And I think they're just buying into the direction this team is going. I really believe that the dynamic of the West Division has changed substantially. I don't think it's Calgary far and away better than better than everybody else in the division anymore. Just to get through a couple of the uh, less notable, but certainly still notable moves around the CFL. Uh, the Stampeders extended their long snapper, Pierre-Luc Caron. Um, the BC Lions have uh, re-signed a couple of guys, offensive, uh, two offensive linemen, Cody Husband uh, and uh, on Antonio Johnson, as well as long snapper Mike Benson. Um, the Toronto Argonauts, uh, most notable signing for them, wide receiver Armonte Edwards back through 2019. He was a huge factor in that offense this past year really coming out party for him in 2017 with the Argos after starting off with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Wide receiver Levi Noel through 2019. Offensive lineman DJ Saki also extended through 2019, and then they signed four international players as well. Those are kind of uh, some of the more less notable moves. Arguably the most notable of them would be Armonte Edwards with the Toronto Argonauts. Yeah, it's interesting to see. Um, it's interesting to see how other teams uh, prioritize their free agent lists. For sure. Um, and then also the Red Blacks announcing earlier today, William Powell signed to a one-year contract extension. I really like this move for the Red Blacks. I thought Powell... I mean, Powell was arguably... While he didn't finish number one in rushing, he was arguably the best running back in the CFL last year. I think you could make that argument. He missed a decent amount of time due to injury, but when he was out there, Powell was a force to be reckoned with, and you really saw that in the second half of the season. Yeah, and, you know, a lot of this is what we're seeing is teams bringing back and retaining guys and wanted to have some continuity, and... I think teams realize just how important that is and, you know, breaking up, you know, what they have going when it's going very well in most cases isn't exactly the answer. And finally, the most, uh, possibly the most controversial news of the past week, which came out right after we finished recording last week, so we didn't touch on it then, Mike. 
It's the guy we talk about every week on the podcast and hopefully not continue to talk about every week because it gets exhausting at a certain point. Mm -hmm. Uh, But new details out in the Johnny Manziel negotiations. Uh, According uh, to his agent going and putting out a report that they have given the Ticats a deadline of January 31st to work out a deal with him. And the amount of money he's asking for... He's basically asking for what starters in Hamilton have made over the last couple of years. Which, if you remember, Zach Caleros, I believe it was how much was Caleros making? I don't even remember. He was one of the highest paid. I think five twenty-five or something like something that. like that. So, what do you? What is your? What's your take on the whole situation? Well, I mean, I, I don't want to sound in a minority, but I agree with what Ross Madani said. Uh, on Saskatchewan radio uh, last week, and and I'm paraphrasing, the agent and Johnny Mandel see that Johnny Mandel is one of those guys that moves ticket sales and is a polarizing figure, and whoever winds up getting Johnny Mandel is basically going to be getting bums and seats to watch him. You know, they're going to sell a few jerseys, and... He becomes a marketing icon in whatever city he signs with, for regardless of the number of games that he plays. So I will say this on the situation. I think it's ridiculous as a guy who's never played a snap in the CFL, was a former college star, didn't end up working out so well in the NFL, to come in in a role where he's most likely the backup coming in and say, mm-hmm. no, I need to be one of the highest paid players in the CFL. I think that's an absurd suggestion, an absurd demand to, to go out and make. I, I've said all along, as we've talked about this, as it progressed week by week, does he have a history, you know, of some negative things off the field? Then, you know, maybe, you know, can he put it all aside and work things out in the CFL? I thought all along, if they can work out a deal and he comes in with the attitude of, I'm here in the CFL and I'm going to make an impact here in the CFL, I would give him a chance. Heck yeah. Uh, you know, bring him in, give him time to learn the system, and go and, you know, be smart about how both him and the team approaches this. Now that he goes out and demands this much money and says basically, okay, you have this deadline to give it to me or I'm not coming... I don't know if we end up seeing him in the CFL after all. Well. Because um, is he going to make that much of an impact on... Like, if you're the Ticats, are you willing to put that much money down on him without actually knowing how this is going to turn out? I don't think so, especially when you have Jeremiah Mazzoli already. Um, yeah, I... I... To me, it's a very interesting situation. I, I don't know, man. It's I'm getting sick of uh, the Johnny Manziel talk, and he isn't even here yet. To me, the- yeah. To me, the longer this drags out, the more if I'm the Tie Cats, I'm looking at other options for my backup quarterback position. Um, in the sense that, you know, I think if he would have come in in the attitude, okay, you offered me, you know, you extended a contract offer to me, okay, let's get this a done deal, I'm coming to Hamilton, let's do this, 
Heck yeah. yeah. I'm Kent Dawson. I'm signing on the dotted line on that. Let's get her done. Uh, the more this drags out and he continues to make demands in that, if I'm the Ticats, I, I'm starting to look at other options out there personally. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, this comes down to to how bad uh, Johnny Manziel wants to play football. Yeah, and, and I'll say this. While I, I think the demand, on the one hand, I think the demand is ridiculous, um, I think the Ticats are at fault for uh, painting themselves into this situation. Uh, looking at their head coach, June Jones, and his comments back in December where he said, um, that Manziel could, you know, possibly be going, you know, become the best player in the CFL. This is what he taught. This is what June Jones said back in December is that Johnny Manziel has a potential to be, and I, I'm probably quoting this wrong here though, you know, the best player in CFL history. Well, if I'm his agent, then I'm going out and saying, put your money where your mouth is. If you think he's that good, then you're going to pay him like he's that good. Yeah, exactly. I, I can't argue too much with what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's what it drills down to. I think they painted themselves into a bit of situation. The agent's calling them out on that. Um, and and we'll, see, uh, we'll see how this all shakes out. Yeah, it, it'll be one interesting offseason. And I'm just surprised that, you know, the quarterback carousel... Is done this early. I thought a lot of it would be drawn out until free agency. So, hats off for general managers to get a head start. Right. Moving into the second half of our show here, Mike, uh, talking about the BC Lions this offseason. Most of our talks over the last couple of weeks have been about their coaching positions of the as they've filled a lot of those. There's a lot of questions on the free agent market for them. But getting into things, talking about 2017, first of all, it was a season that coming in, I think there was so much hype about the BC Lions. I think we had them possibly going on to be Grey Cup champions before the season started. Yeah. I don't quite remember. There was a lot of hype about them. There was a lot of hype about quarterback uh, Jonathan Jennings coming into the year. Um, very disappointing end to the year for the Lions. They start out 5-2 and two and then just end up going on a downward spiral after that um, and end up missing the playoffs this year. But starting off with the good in 2017, what went well for the BC Lions? Um, they certainly started out well. Uh, the first couple of games, they went on an Eastern road trip. Uh, they... Were five and two. They had, you know, a couple of thrilling wins. Uh, one of them against the Blue Bombers at BC Place, as you recall. Right. Uh, Burnham was a bright spot for me. Um, negative, if I could talk about a negative here really quickly. Sure. Uh, Travis Lule didn't hurt. Absolutely. I think that um, was that was that was heartbreaking to see. Um, cause this is a guy, you know, that's dealt with so many injuries, finally gets his chance to become a starter again. And, uh, I believe this was his first start of the season, correct? Pardon me? It wasn't his first start of the season that he was injured, wasn't he? Um, or, no, I think he started a couple games while Jennings was injured. Jennings right. came back. 
didn't play so well. He had those couple interceptions against the uh, right and against then, the Riders. They go and right. end up turning over to Lule. He gets the start again. They say he's going to be the starter for the rest of the year. And then the injury bug decides to go and say, no, 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 he's not. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, Lule suffers his injury. He's out for the rest of the season. Yeah, it's interesting. And don't forget, Lule had that game where he came off the bench and he threw for a CFO record for a guy coming in in relief for the most yards. Yeah, a, a great year. Or a, in the time he played this year, we thought vintage Travis Lule was back. And that would have been really interesting to see what he did with that team going forward throughout the rest of the season, uh, if he had the chance to. Um but how about, you know, how about Jonathan Jennings after having his confidence rocked like that, all of a sudden, you know, all of a sudden things don't go well for Jennings. He's not playing well. Okay, he gets some time on the bench to go and look at, uh, see what Lule is doing, maybe figure things out. And then a couple plays into the game, basically. Uh, nope, you're out there. You're a starter for the rest of the year again. Yeah, it's... Kind of the back and forth certainly didn't help. Um, but I thought Jonathan Jennings didn't get a lot of help from his offensive line. And, and it's a real shame. Yeah. Because I, I thought coming into the season for sure that Jonathan Jennings would be right up there uh, for MOP votes coming into the year. And obviously that didn't happen. Yeah, and coming into the year, I mean... We Like we said, we had those high expectations for them based on how they had kind of progressed the year before, the, what we had seen from Jennings. Um, and if you remember as well, you know, they made that, was it a trade or a signing in the offseason where they got Chris Williams to come to BC? And we thought, boy, look at this group of wide receiver. You got Williams, Arsenal, Burnham, and Nick Moore. Is this not the best in the CFL you know, an up-and-coming dominant quarterback in Jennings. He has all of these weapons. He's got Jeremiah Johnson. He's got Chris Rainey. We thought this BC offense is going to be on fire in 2017, and no one's going to stop them. And yeah, just, for sure. And, and, and it was a mix of injuries and maybe, you know, some struggles on the offensive line, some struggles for Jennings and his receivers, some miscommunication. Things never really got going offensively for BC in 2017 the way we expected it to. Yeah. Uh, and, and again, I mean, I, I think there was a lot of pressure put on the BC defense. Um, but again, I really feel that the offensive line really let BC down. You know, because Jonathan Jennings, if he had time to throw the ball with the receivers that he had this year, he would have put up some, some much bigger and much more positive numbers, as would some of this receiving core. And then I think the defense kind of balances itself out. Um, I know they had some questions on the back end, the end of their defense at times this year. Um, but I think it was just one issue kind of compounded, leading to another issue and another issue at and as it leads to a to a bit of a broken situation. Yeah, and and you can we talked about this when we talked about the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. You can tell the exact moment when 
the season flipped for the BC Lions, essentially, and it was that home-and-home -home series with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. They go out in that first game. They're 5-2 and two at that point going in, I believe, or 4-2, and two, and they end up going to 5-2 and two with that first win over the Riders. They jump out to a 30 nothing lead, one of the most dominant, you know, leads I had seen in a while. I remember watching and listening to that game. They trail off in the fourth quarter. Uh, Brandon Bridge comes in, throws two touchdown passes. They win something like thirty to fourteen or thirty to fifteen. The final score. And I remember saying at halftime in that game, you know, the Lions are looking real good. They play the Riders next week. The key here is going to be, you know, how they approach getting ready for that next game against the Riders because a dominant victory in itself, the home and home series in the CFL is no laughing matter. It is a struggle to sweep both parts of a home-and-home -home series. You better not come out of that first win and go and say, oh yeah, we beat them last week, we'll do it again this week. It all matters how they prepare, and they come out in that second game against the Riders and get it handed to them. Yeah, as much, Ryan, as people want to say that was the BC Lions' downfall, if you look historically across the CFL, and you probably know where I'm going with this, it's very hard to split a home and home. For sure. A, a team dominates a team on, say, the front end of a home and home. The team that lost that front game of the home and home but got literally dominated, that doesn't sit well with them. They come out and they start coming out guns a-blazing. It is so hard to do the same thing to the same team back-to-back weeks. And it's just one of those things in sports that's very, very hard to do. It's not just in football. And I know people say, well, you know, they took it easy, right? And they kind of didn't prepare maybe as intently because, you know, they kind of... Sports is a whole new mental thing. And I think, you know, a team that gets blown out in one end of a home-and-home home is automatically favored the next game because they know what kind of adjustments to make, and they come out hungry. And it's just, it's a psychological thing in sports, and it's not just in football. Yeah, it really is. Uh, how, how many times have we seen the Battle of Alberta be a split on Labor Day. Right. How many times have we seen the Riders and Bombers split it? The Riders winning the, the, lab, uh, the Labor Day game, the Bombers winning the Banjo Bowl. See, results like that, it's so hard to beat a team, um, so hard to beat a team twice in a year. Just look at the Jets when they went into Minnesota the other day and the Wild beat them. It's so hard for the Jets to beat Minnesota four times in a season. Minnesota finally finally beat the Jets on the fourth try, right? It's so hard. And it's just one of those mental things in sports. Yeah, and and I think, you know, the the key tier when talking about that beatdown they got from the Riders in that, uh, in you know, that second matchup there, this was the game where um, Jonathan Jennings goes and throws four interceptions to Ed Ganey, the Lions turn over the ball a bunch of times. That had to have, you know, not been good for the confidence there. Um, 
you know, they go on a couple of weeks later. Lue takes over as the starter, like we mentioned. Then all of a sudden gets hurt. Jennings has to come back in for the rest of the season. I think it was a couple of weeks there together, um, just spiraling together in order to go and cause what happened the rest of the season. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, it's like a team, right? You, you don't have a... If you have an inefficient defense, your offense is forced to play in over their head to balance out, you know, the defense not playing so well. You know, the defense playing well pits up the offense when the offense isn't playing well. So it's almost like a cheater-totter, right? And if you can get a balance just kind of in the middle, that's how you have a team win. Yeah, and and if you want to... If you want to talk about possibly, you know, maybe the offensive line, maybe the quarterback play for the line, what was the biggest issue in 2017, especially in that, you know, second half of the season, was the number of times they blew a late lead. Because if you remember, they had a couple games, I think there was the one against the Ottawa Red Blacks, where either they were ahead by a lot and Ottawa came back and won, or they came all the way back but then blew it late. There was the one where they were dominating the Eskimos and the Eskimos come back and beat them in overtime. This happened to BC a lot in the second half of the season. Yeah, yeah and then you're talking about a couple plays here and there and you're talking about a couple wins and you're talking about a couple wins and BC doesn't end up where they are, right? That's, that's, that's what it's like in the CFL. And that's that fine line between winning and losing, Ryan. Yeah, all it takes is an extra play sometimes, right? Can I'll put this to you in perspective this way. The Bombers don't make that frantic comeback against Montreal at Investors Group Field, the Western semifinals in Edmonton. Yeah. We should do a podcast at some point in the offseason. Uh, the biggest what-if scenarios of 2017. Yep. That that well, would be that would be an interesting one. Well, there's there was one, right? Because if you just go to show what a fine line there is, you know, between winning and losing. Oh, for sure. One field goal kick could make the entire difference in, you know, a year of CFL. And could ripple down to future years after that based on where teams finish and who gets the axe for certain things and 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 why would BC near the bottom of the or at the bottom of the West Division, people ask. Look at their in-division record. That of other teams that finished higher. Yeah, a lot of their wins uh, came against the East Division, B- I believe. B- BC didn't, you know, BC didn't really beat Calgary, I don't think. They didn't, they certainly, you know, they split with, I mean, they split with Saskatchewan. They beat the Bombers once. Once out of three games? I believe so. I'm double-checking on that. See, so they lost. They basically lost the season series to everybody in their division. They lost or tied the season series to everybody. I don't think they had a single tiebreaker within the division. No, so they beat. Uh, they actually had the tiebreaker over the Bombers. It looks like they beat the Bombers twice. Uh, right. They beat us. They beat the Bombers in the second half of the season, or in one of those back-to-back games. There. Oh right, right, right. So, but but you you get the point. It's 
you don't win games in your division. You're behind the eight ball, not only in your division, but in any tiebreaker against said teams, especially in football, when you see a team as little as you do. Looking at the Lions in 2017, who had the best coming out party for this team, or who was an addition maybe in the offseason, or a guy who was just making the most of his opportunity that really impressed you? Burnham. Highlight real catch after highlight real catch. Absolutely, and this was a guy that we knew could play coming into the year from the way he did the the year before, uh, maybe even the year before that. I think one of the last couple of years was really his coming out party. In 2017, he took it another level with some of those incredible catches like you mentioned. I mean, he was a human highlight reel and a lot of fun to watch out on the field. Um, one guy that I saw coming onto the scene a little later in the season, and I'm interested to see if they're bringing him back, is wide receiver Shaquille Johnson. We talked about that big four, the Chris Williams, the uh, Arsenault, the Burnham, the Nick Moore um, We're kind of the four for the Lions. Now, obviously, Chris Williams now is no longer with them. But I'm interested to see, you know, Johnson was one of those guys who in this late in the season, uh, for all of us fantasy players out there, he was a guy I took a look at sometimes as, you know, a cheap option. He's a bit underrated, and he was a guy who made an impact a couple times for the Lions. He's a really good, uh, good addition to... I'm just trying to quickly scour, uh, let's see if I missed anybody. Uh, you know, you're, and then you have your usual stuff that you're Big Hill, you're Alamanian. Well, Big Hill, Big Hill not with the Lions in Oops, yeah. 2017 with the New Orleans Saints. So uh, another guy, uh, as we mentioned off the top, another CFL or uh, Canadian guy but, with the heartbreak of the Saints. Yeah, what I'm trying what I'm trying to say is there are guys on the BC Lions where you know what you're gonna get. The uh, running backs, of course, uh, Jeremiah Johnson, Goodyear, Travis Lully, when healthy, you know what you're gonna get. You know what you're gonna get from your Alamanian. You know what you're gonna get from Shot Johnson. It's very very. I'm expecting a bounce back here from the BC Lions next year if they address some of their offensive line. Yeah, and I think if you want to throw a couple guys more into that list that had some really strong years, um, how about Ty Long, their kicker slash punter? I thought he had a really strong year. He was one of the best punters in the CFL. Yeah, and you know what? It's interesting because remember they brought in Swayze Waters to start the year. Everybody thought it was Swayze Waters' team. He had a nagging injury. All of a sudden, Tylon has basically done enough when Swayze Waters is healthy to keep Swayze Waters out of the lineup. Next thing you know, Swayze Waters gets released or traded. I can't remember which one. And Tylon wins the job. Yeah, and, and another... But he, but he wasn't really supposed to have, was it not for... You know, someone else's circumstance. For sure. And another guy uh, had a really strong bounce back year was Nick Moore. Uh, I believe this was his first year in BC after being with the Bombers, or first year back in BC after a couple seasons with the Bombers, right? He had that big injury last year, which kept him out for most of the year. Came into BC, 
If you remember, he had that game early mm-hmm. in the season where he had over something like 200 yards receiving or yeah. something ridiculous like that. So good to see Nick Moore having a bounce back year uh, for BC. Some guys are comfortable, and it's for some guys, and I know this with athletes because I'm around them, and especially the ones that I've seen for two, three years, they have a really good first year. They have a down, you know, a down second year from, from you know, what was their first year. Nine times out of ten or eight times out of ten, you'll see that player rebound to have a good year the next year. Right. And, and, that, and that was the case with Nick Moore, and I'm so happy for him. And... I think it's just one of those unfortunate circumstances where Nick Moore couldn't stay healthy in Winnipeg. For sure. Well, and I don't I don't think he was even when he came back. I don't ever think he was a hundred percent. Looking at guys who maybe, you know, uh didn't pan out as well as hoped in twenty seventeen for the Lions, I think the number one we can put at that top of the list is is the quarterback, Jonathan Jennings, because this guy was hyped up as you know, we we hyped him up as an MOP candidate. We hyped him up as leading the Lions to the Grey Cup in 2017. Mm-hmm. And after such a strong real first year in the CFL, it it you know, a bit of a sophomore slump from him this year. The big question I have for you, what does 2018 look like for Jonathan Jennings? Does he have a strong bounce back year or is it going to be or is he are we going to see him struggle? You want a real answer? You want the actual answer? What I think or what I want to happen? What you What you think? We all we because we all want to see the guy succeed. Yeah, and he's a Western quarterback, so you kind of hope that he doesn't, you know, light the world on fire. But no, I expect Jonathan Jennings to be better than last year, but not as good as two years ago. I think he's somewhere in the middle. And he's got his new. You know, they, we go, we've got the new coaching staff in BC, so I'm interested to see how that all plays out. And I'm interested to see what the Lions do this offseason to go and fix the holes that they had last year. Let's be frank. The BC Lions were a good team last year, but they also had holes on their roster. For sure. And I think if they can address those holes, if they can... You know, here's another thing, too. Nobody knew who Jonathan Jennings was two years ago. Everybody said, oh, this Jonathan Jennings kid is coming. And he's very, very successful. He's been very, very good. We haven't figured out how to stop him, right? Right. Last year was one of those things of, okay, now we got some video on Jonathan Jennings. Aha, keep him in the pocket. Don't let him run. You know, don't let him extend plays. Don't let him use that arm, right? Right. And that's kind of what happened last year. Granted, you know, he didn't get a lot of help, as I said, with that offensive line. And that's what I think almost, uh, some, going back to something you mentioned a couple weeks ago, I think that's your concern possibly with a guy like Brandon Bridge, perhaps, who mm-hmm. had a great first year in the CFL, yeah. uh, kind of first coming out party year in the CFL, but now that there's footage on him, interest to see how that plays out next year, uh, especially with I'm that battle with Zach Caleros. I'm wondering if Chris Jones didn't think about that when he brought Caleros in. He might have. Uh, looking at this offseason for the BC Lions, what uh, what are the most important 
keys for the Lions this offseason? Address the holes. Don't fix what ain't broke. And try to come out on the right end of the end of some of those games that they lost. Um, in, in terms of the holes you mentioned, we've talked a little about the offensive line. Is there anywhere else where you see a hole that needs to be fixed? I think they need a little bit of help on the back end of that defense. I thought they were exposed, especially late in football games, uh, with the deep bomb a couple times. Um, maybe they need another run stopper in the middle, like kind of a nose tackle, you know, to to to, to complement Alminian. Maybe they need a big hill type of player. Um, Although you're never you're never gonna truly replace a guy like Adam Big Hill. No, but they need somebody that you know, and that goes to what I just said. That complements Alminian, right? And whether that's the former free agency or the Canadian draft, you know, that's kind of the interesting thing for, uh, for BC offensive line, as I said. But you know, if you can shore up that defense. And you can have that defense of depth to basically rotate guys in and out on a night where your offense isn't necessarily clutching. You have guys rotating so you keep them somewhat fresh. Then you have this ability to allow your defense to kind of... Then you don't have all this pressure on your offense. You don't have all this pressure on your front-line starters on defense. And you can maybe afford to wait three quarters of a game for your offense to come around. It's not an urgent, you know, but if your offense doesn't come around in the first half, you're kind of screwed because your defense has been on the field for so long, right? Yeah, and, and I don't think the Lions are a team that I look at this offseason and say, uh, blow things up. No, no. No, definitely not. Um, it's a little different. So we talked about the Ticats last week, how it was, uh, you know, they mm-hmm. were the Ticats and the Riders. Uh, the last couple of weeks, how we don't think they need to do much because they're young teams that are building things, good mm-hmm. things. The Lions, on the other hand, I think, well, they might not be classified as one of those young teams, so mm-hmm. to say. I think they're a team that's just, you know, had like has a good thing built that just kind of, you know, couldn't put connect the dots in 2017, so to say. And I don't think it's a matter of you need to go a blow up the team to fix this. Maybe shore up a couple holes. I think you mentioned some good ones there. Um, but by and large, I think you keep most. You try to keep most of this roster intact. You've got your whole new coaching staff in place there. There's a lot of juicy pieces involved in that, and you let them go to work on this team. Here's the thing that would kind of concern me. And I have not looked at the roster very, very closely, so forgive me. Um, is this a situation where the window is opening or is opening BC, but with some of these aging players on their roster, they might have to look at kind of retooling this thing in the next couple of years? I'm not saying this year, because I don't think they have to do it, but are we seeing a real changing of the guard in the next two to three years in BC, you know, with Wally gone and Ed Herbie kind of putting his fingerprints, but maybe this is the, let's try to send Wally out with the gray top and then try to do a kind of restarting in the next couple of years to kind of have a changing of the guard then. That very well could be the case. 
Um, looking at the Lions list of free agents, there's quite a few guys on here. They've re-signed a couple, like I mentioned before, as well as Matty Arsenault uh, back in December, which was a key one for them. Um, starting on the offensive side of the ball, uh, a couple more offensive linemen. They re-signed two of them today, um, or sorry, earlier this week. Um, Jaskarin Dillon, Kirby Fabian, uh, I'm just looking through here, Hunter Stewart. So three offensive linemen uh, are free agents this year. Um, also on the offensive side of the ball, you've got a couple of wide receivers, Shaquille Shaq Johnson, uh, like we mentioned before, Nick Moore is also a free agent. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, quarterback Travis Lule, which um, I think the large question in revolving him right now is the injury status mm-hmm. and uh, where things go from there. Tell you what, I don't want to – I'm not saying this because I'm a Bomber fan. I'm saying this because I'm a CFL fan and I'm an honest uh, – I'm an honest CFL fan. Uh, whether I like to say this is another thing you need to judge for yourself. But at me thinks there's a hole on that BC offensive line for a guy named Travis Bond. Hey, I mean, if Winnipeg can't re-sign him, I, I, I definitely see a fit for him in BC. And I think he fits with a lot of things. Oh, that's what he did with the Bombers offensive line when he came in two years ago. <laughs> Here's another thing, Ryan. I think they're re-signing some of this offensive line because I think they want to allow them to grow together. Oh, and Andrew Jones, also another offensive lineman. I missed that one here. So to to blow up this offensive line because of one bad year would be foolish, and I'm so glad they're not doing that. I believe they just need some help, and I believe if they can get a guy like Travis Bond, you will see that offensive line be a world of better and everybody on that BC Lions team benefit. Right. And if, Tra- if Travis Bond signs with BC and they get some things to go away, and they don't need a whole lot, but they just need a few more, you know, a few more turnovers and a few more points from that offense, BC is a playoff team. For sure. Um, yeah, so not too much in terms of free agents, uh, Mm-hmm. Offensively, uh, Travis Lulee, I think if he's healthy, uh, would love to return to BC, and I think uh, BC would have that same mentality. Uh, yep. So I, I wouldn't expect him to go anywhere else personally if he does come back, and I hope to see him back. Looking at the defensive side of the ball, this is where a lot of things could change for the Lions. Um, starting off with the defensive line, you've got Alex Bazzi, who came back last year after, you know, starting off the year with a pursuit of an NFL job. You've got defensive lineman Max Ford, defensive lineman David Menard, Craig Rowe, Bryant Turner, former bomber there. So a lot of questions on the defensive line here to start for the Lions. You get into the linebacker position, you've got Adrian Clark, um, is actually the only linebacker listed here as a free agent for the Lions, so I'm not expecting too much change there. And then you get into the defensive backs. You've got a you've got Chandor Fenner, uh, who was a huge member of that Lions backfield last year. You've got T.J. Lee had that season-ending injury, I believe. Uh, Lucia's Purifoy, 
Ronnie Yell. I mean, these are some big-name defensive backs that the Lions have as free agents right now, and I think they're going to be for sure looking to shore some of those ones up. Yeah, and also this is a chance for Ed Hervey to put a stamp on the team with some help from Wally Buono. But this is the kind of thing that I was kind of hinting at, right? Like, BC's almost coming to a crossroads with a lot of those guys on defense. Anthony Jackson, also another defensive back. I, I, I missed one in my list. It's hard when the list is not ordered by position, and then I yeah. try to go through and uh, try to make sure to go through everyone in a logical order. If It's, it's, it's an interesting thing. Um, as the roster is currently constructed, if I were to make CFL pitch, BC would be out of the playoffs. Interesting. In my West Division... As currently constructed in the middle of January on January 15th. Looking at their list of free agents here, who's the must bring back for the Alouettes? If you had to choose one. For the Lions or the Alouettes? I meant the Lions, sorry. Uh, that was it. I just wanted to make sure. Uh, uh, Brian Turner for me. Um, Purifoy would be another one. Purifoy was who I was going to say. I would throw Chandler Fenner in there as well. Yeah, it's so hard to remember the list because you read so many of them off. <laughs> <laughs> um, <coughs> well, first time. Uh, but no, I I also think that this signifies the wind, wind of change across the CFL. And, you know, BC is one of those teams that might look for a guy or look at a guy like Chris Randall or Maurice Lighted or or one of those blue bomber defenders but Kyle Walters came out and said this week he was quite blunt when he said, I don't know if given the amount of raises that these guys want, if we're gonna get them all under contract. So right. would one of those guys, one of those three guys wind up helping B C? Absolutely. For sure. Um, lots of questions, I think, on the defensive side. I'm gonna, I'm interested to see how the Lions approach that. I, I think we'll see quite a few of these guys brought back yet as time goes along. Uh, but there's a lot of big names out there on free agents for the Lions. Lots and, of questions this offseason to see, you know, how, especially with Ed Hervey being the new general manager, how much of a stamp is he going to try to put on this team? How much is he saying, okay, let's bring the same guys back? Or is he going to go out and say, I need to make my stamp on this team, and we're going to see some big changes. It's a very interesting thing. But for me, bottom line, BC doesn't go anywhere without a repaired offensive line. And, you know, they don't go anywhere for me if they don't fix their offensive line. I think. Defensive line, they need to find a way to get some pressure on the quarterback. They're successful, as is any team when they get pressure with their D-line on the quarterback. They can't do those two things. They're not going to have a good season. But I trust Ed Hervey to fit, number one, the offensive and defensive line and find some way to get pressure on the quarterback whose name is not Solomon Aluminium. I think that's a very fair way to put it, Mike. Um, anything else you have to add here as I scroll through and see if any new news was came out over the last hour. Well, here, here's an interesting thing. BC is at a crossroad 
You know, I'm sure in the Bassett or Minor opinion, we wanted Rod and we want to win a Grey Cup for Wally. Send them off in Edmonton with the Grey Cup championship. But hey, let's face it. Not 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 gonna be a homer here. I like where the bombers are at this present day to where BC is. I like where Saskatchewan is. Today compared to where BC is. I also like where Calgary is today compared to where BC is. So And I'm assuming Edmonton as well, obviously. Edmonton as well too, but that can all change before free agency. I see BC battling for that last playoff spot if their roster holds is currently constructed. I do not believe they get in, but I think they made it a fight uh, for that crossover spot. Uh, TSN's John Liu report, uh, just put out on Twitter a little bit ago, uh, Montreal Alouette's GM Cavis Reed says that even though Darian Durant has been released, talks will continue with Durant's camp about potentially returning to the club to compete for a job at training camp as either a starter or a backup. Hmm. I, I I don't know how, how much to read into that. Uh, is Darian willing to come back? So basically, you go out and you tell Durant, okay, we're going to cut you now because we don't want to pay you $150,000, but come talk to us in June. Yeah. Very, very interesting. Very awkward. Very awkward, for sure. Um, so interested to see where Durant ends up uh, going for 2018, if anywhere. Uh, hopefully see him back for another season at least. Here's an interesting thing. If I could just slide in some bomber talk here really quickly. Yep, super quick. Uh, there is a topic of discussion going around that the Bombers are in on uh, Darian Durant, that uh, they should sign Darian Durant. I shouldn't say that they haven't had any conversation with Darian Durant, but they have not. I believe the Bombers are – it's served for the Bombers to uh, – to go back into uh, to go back into uh, maybe looking at a viable backup for um, Matt Nichols, as was, as was discussed by myself on last week's show. The other thing is, don't expect any of those big three um, big three cornerbacks that they had there. Uh, the big the Randall Idiot. Uh, there's a couple other ones that are uh, big names for the Blue Bombers. I don't expect all those guys bad based on what I heard from Kyle Walters that at the meetings in Vance and what he's told various media sources. The winds of change in the CFL are, uh, are alive and well, not just for the Bombers, but the CFL as a whole. It's time for the CFL to, and Bomber fans to put their trust in the scouts and allow the scouts to find uh, the next best rookie gem. And we'll see how everything shakes out over the next couple of months as the offseason rolls on here. Uh, next week, we'll be back again. Take a look at another team in our offseason outlook series. We'll be going back out east, I think to talk yep. about the Ottawa Red Blacks as uh, we continue to roll along and uh, perhaps save the uh, two teams in the Grey Cup as our final two teams. Would be a kind of fitting way to do it. 
Um, so, yeah. we'll, so we'll talk Ottawa Red Blacks next week, and I'm sure that will be an interesting one um, to discuss everything going forward with them. Aren't we a month away from free agency, too? We are. We're just about a month to go. Uh, we've got, I think, four teams left to talk about, so it lines us up perfectly to finish our offseason outlook the day before free agency starts, which is kind of nice. And we'll continue to do so over the next uh, month leading up to that, and then every week from there on forward throughout the offseason till we get to the end of May when we have CFL preseason starting and then a whole nother year of exciting football to come. I can't wait till uh, March CFL week. I've heard of some of the plans, but they have planned for that. Uh, maybe we'll talk about that in the coming weeks too. For sure. That's all for today's show. Any final words, Mike? Enjoy the conference uh, NFL finals. I'm pitting Minnesota Vikings to play the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl, although I would love to see the Johnsonville Jaguars. Coached by former Toronto Argonaut, the quarterback coach of the Johnsonville Jaguars is who you might ask? Scott, Scott Milanovich. So I want Johnsonville to win. I don't think they will. My... The pit with my head is New England, Minnesota. With my heart is Johnsonville, Minnesota. We'll leave it at that. Uh, we will talk to you all again next week. Uh, for Michael Garrell, this is Ryan Coop. This has been the Canadian Football Countdown. Have a wonderful week. We'll talk to you again next week. Bye. Bye.